Welcome to episode 25 of Sharing Life Lessons. This is season 3. Together, we are creating a library of stories. I am your host, Hamida, and I want to bring you stories because stories inspire, stories teach, and stories heal. Dear listeners, this is the 25th episode. A milestone for me. I did not dream I would get this far. And as Edwin Robinson, an American poet, said, there are two kinds of gratitude, the sudden kind we feel for what we take and the larger kind we feel for what we give. Today, I feel both. I feel the sudden kind of gratitude towards my listeners. We have over 3,300 plays to my monthly subscribers for supporting me in creating this podcast and towards my lovely guests who so generously are giving of their knowledge, their personal stories, and the life lessons. I also feel the larger kind of gratitude towards the universe for enabling me to be the medium in the sharing of knowledge and allowing us together to create a library of stories. For this momentous episode, we have a very special guest who I respect immensely. He continues to have a very successful career in the financial industry. And prior to this, he was at, at the Naval Academy he attended the Real Top Gun, which is an elite Navy strike fighter tactics instructor school that opened in 1969. Let's hear all about it. Everyone, please welcome Mike Silva. Mike, thank you so much for being on Sharing Life Lessons. It's an honor to have you as a guest. For the listeners, I worked for Mike and his team at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, and he was my mentor. It wasn't a written mentor contract, but to me, he was my mentor. If I needed uh, any advice or any guidance or, hey, how do I go to the next part or next phase of my career? Mike was it. So Mike, thank you so much for being here. I would ask you to please start off by telling us a bit about yourself. Well, I'm delighted, but first, you know, thank you for having me, and thank you for mentoring me, too. Mentoring relationships are always a two-way street, and I definitely took something away from our relationship, and it's so good to see you again and talk Same to you here. again. So, a little bit about myself. Listen, I've been blessed with a, just a, a very successful uh, career in many regards, and a very happy and successful personal life, and just to run through the career in particular first. When I was about eight years old, I went to a military air show and I saw jets go zipping by and I said, that's really cool. How do you do that? And I developed this passion. I was determined to become a jet pilot. And I decided the best way to do that was to go to a military academy. I worked hard and that's what I ended up doing. I ended up going to the Naval Academy and graduating from there, I went into Naval flight training as a naval flight officer, and I ultimately was assigned to the F-14 Tomcat. The F-14 Tomcat is a two-seat jet fighter. There's a pilot in the front seat and a, a weapons officer in the rear seat, also known as a Rio. And for those of you who have seen Top Gun, that's the aircraft that's featured in Top Gun. And uh, I was assigned to Fighter Squadron 142, flying off of the USS Eisenhower. Uh, I had the privilege of going to Top Gun, actually, the real world Top Gun and uh, operated with the F-142 for about five years and had some pretty amazing experiences there that taught me things that turned out to be useful for the rest of my career. And I want to come back to that. But after I flew with uh, 142, I uh, went on to 
conduct the first ever nuclear arms control inspections in the Soviet Union under the INF Treaty. I then left the Navy and went to Columbia Law School. From Columbia Law School, I went to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, where I ended up as the lead international lawyer. And at one point, I was um, advising the Central Bank of Iraq, Baghdad, after the invasion. Apparently, some people there told a young fellow named Tim Geithner that I was not bad because when I returned to New York Fed, that same person, Tim Geithner, had become the president of the New York Fed, and he asked me to be his chief of staff. Now, that was a bit of a surprise, but I, I did it, and it was a great experience. I was chief of staff during the financial crisis. After that, I was assigned to supervise Goldman Sachs as the lead supervisory officer for them. That's where we had the great pleasure of working together. Following my assignment supervising Goldman Sachs, Jeff Immelt at GE Capital asked me to come be uh, GE Capital's Chief Compliance Officer and Chief Regulatory Affairs Officer, and I did that. Following GE Capital, I went to become a partner at the international law firm DLA Piper, where I headed up the regulatory practice. After a few years of doing that, I ended up as the Chief Compliance Officer again at a foreign bank where I am right now. So it's been a, a great and very interesting career and accompanied by a a great personal life. I've been married for 38 years to a, a wonderful woman, and we have two beautiful children, now grown and gone, 30 and, and 29. One's a social worker, and the other's a uh, special education teacher. So couldn't have asked for more. Mike, this sounds like such a fulfilled life that you have gone through in both your career and your personal life. And to me personally, I have been with you for some times of your life, and those parts of your lives I know. But every time I came into your office for advice or guidance, and I saw those smashing pictures of you standing next to the Tomcat or actually in the <laughs> Tomcat ready to pilot it, I was so intrigued. This is just to say that you have had a really varied and valuable and full life. So you must have a lot of stories to tell and lots of life lessons to impart. So let's get on to your stories, and I know you have a few, so start us off with your first story, please. Yeah, certainly. So listen, my the years leading up to flying and my flying years did teach me some great lessons that I used in my life. The first actually occurred even before I started flying. You might remember I said I wanted to be a fighter pilot. Well, guess what? My original intent was to go to the Air Force Academy and be a fighter pilot, because mm -hmm. I lived out in California. Mm -hmm. But when I took my induction physical, guess what? My eyes had gone bad and I couldn't be a pilot. This was a terrible disappointment to a, a teenager. Now, in the scheme of things, it's you know, all relative, but it was my first big professional disappointment. The Air Force said, listen, Mike, you can still come and fly as a navigator on transports. That didn't sound so interesting, but the Navy said, Mike, you can come to the Naval Academy and fly tactical aircraft as a weapons officer. The Navy operated several aircraft that had a pilot and, and a weapons officer, including the F-14, and that sounded much more interesting. So at the uh, last moment, I had to change everything and I ended up at the Naval Academy. Fortunately, it ended up working out exactly right. I did go to flight training. I did end up in the backseat of an F-14, and Flying off carriers turned out to be a fantastic experience. Going to Top Gun was fantastic. I, I wouldn't have traded any of it for the world. It worked out better than I would have expected. 
But that phenomenon of being very disappointed, but rolling with it and doing the best you can turned out to serve me well the rest of my career. When I talk to young people about my career, one thing I always tell them about is that, listen, I've had a plan for every moment of my career, and that plan has never worked out even once. I've always had to roll with it. I wanted to be a pilot. I ended up as a weapons officer. I thought I was going to be a career military officer. I ended up falling in love and getting out of the Navy and going to law school. I thought I'd go to a large law firm. I ended up at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. I thought I would do regulatory law because that's the most prominent kind there. They wanted me to do operational law and do the foreign accounts. I thought I'd be general counsel. They wanted me to be chief of staff. I thought I'd go back to law. They wanted me to supervise Goldman Sachs. I thought I'd retire from the Fed. I ended up at GE Capital. I thought I'd retire from GE Capital. They ended up leaving finance. I could go on. Hey, Mike, do you, yeah. what comes to mind is that phrase <laughs> that if you want to make God laugh, send him your plan for your life. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> yes. But learning to roll with punches early on turned out to be a great, great experience. The other thing that I learned in my flying years was to believe in yourself and especially believe that you can do things that you might not think you're capable of. Guess what? When I got down to flight training in Pensacola, Florida, and saw what it was to actually fly jets, I thought, you know what? I don't think I can do this. So I asked, actually, instead of being assigned to jets, I asked to be signed to long-range patrol aircraft as a navigator because the jets were so fast and so demanding. And I just didn't. Once it was right there in my face, I wasn't sure I could do it. But then, unfortunately, the pipeline for a fighter aircraft, they suffered a casualty. They lost a student, and they had to draft a student to make up for that. They have to train a certain number of people per year. So okay. they turned around, and they looked at the next class, and they said, okay, who's the number one in that class? Because you, you're going fighters. Well, that was me. Mm. And I remember saying, listen, guys, I don't think I can do, I really don't, I think you should get somebody else. And, uh, but there was a fellow named Commander Foster who pulled me aside and said, you know, Mike, I think you can do this. And I have to tell you, the first time I crawled up on the top of an F-14, it's massive. It's so complicated. And uh, flying off carriers is also very scary. I thought, I can't do this. I know I wanted to as a kid, but I can't do this. But I stuck it out. And, and Commander Foster encouraged me to do it. And guess what? I turned out to excel at it. I graduated number one in my F-14 training class. I was selected early to go to Top Gun. I, apparently, I think very spatially. And that helped me excel as a Rio in the backseat because a lot of what you do back there is keep track of the visual picture. And that phenomena of doing something I didn't think I could do helped me a lot. For instance, going to law school was initially very daunting to me, but I remembered, okay, flying jets was, but I did that. When they asked me to be Tim Geithner's chief of staff, that was very daunting to me because I'd never done anything like that. He was very smart. Mm -hmm. I was, wasn't at all sure I could do that. But I remembered, okay, Mike, you didn't think you could fly jets. So I did that. Then they asked me to supervise Goldman Sachs. Amita, I don't know if you remember, but that was my first supervisory assignment ever. Yes. <laughs> was to be the SS. The you were learning as you were going. As I was going. But by now I had learned, okay, you always think that. But 
give it a shot. Believe in yourself. Give it a try. And, you know, it ended up working out. I could tell you more stories like this, but multiple times in my life, I thought, I can't do this. But then I remembered when I thought I couldn't fly jets. Mike, I may be taking you off course, but tell us the importance of having a commander foster around us. Oh, boy. I mean, what a great question. What a great question. He made such a tremendous difference in my life. He took the time to pull me aside and sit me down and say, listen, Mike, I've watched you. I've flown with you. I know you don't think you can do this, but I think you're underestimating yourself. I believe you can do this. I just really strongly encourage you, give it a shot. That conversation, that man, that mentor, and back then we didn't quite have the term yet. This is the late, this is, you know, early 80s, right? We didn't right. quite talk about mentors. Changed everything. And uh, I was fortunate to have several other mentors along, along the way. We now know mentorship is incredibly important. I picked up a, a number of other important ones. That was the first one, and he changed everything. I believe that. I've gone through it so many times in my life. I think either you have to find yourself that solid mentor who will have your back when needed and give you the right advice, or if you just can't find one, you somehow have to bring it out from within. But having a solid mentor is so important in life. And that's yeah. what I'm happy to hear the Commander Foster story. Yes. Another thing flying taught me that proved very useful in my life was compartmentalization. When you climb up and you strap into an F-14, there's a whole set of procedures that have to be followed from the moment you first step on that ladder to the moment you climb down to make sure if you're going to complete that flight successfully, if you're going to live through that flight, it, you have to strap in properly. Aircraft has to be start, started properly. There are so many things that can go wrong, especially when you're flying from an aircraft carrier. You have to be so alert and so focused that you have to develop the ability that whatever else is going on in your life, for that period of time, from when you're sitting there and the, the catapult is about to fire, and you've got to make sure everything is ready to go because if it's not, something really bad's about to happen. It's going to happen in about two seconds. And uh, getting launched off the carrier, landing on the carrier, same thing. Now, I wasn't the pilot, but still I had very important duties in the back to make sure we were ready to land. And I had to do that exactly right or something not good was going to happen. That ability to compartmentalize was particularly profound in terms of learning to do my job, even when I was very scared. Anybody who taxis up to a pitching deck, you, you climb up that jet in the North Atlantic in a pitching jet deck, and the snow is falling so heavily it's coming uh, sideways, but there's a Soviet bomber that's coming over the ice cap. It's going to try to fly down the East Coast, and you have to intercept it to show the Soviets that they can never get near the East Coast without us getting next to them. But if you climb up on that jet and you're bouncing around and you're thinking, my God, it'll be amazing if we can even get this thing off without going into the water, much less recovering back aboard. Anybody who tells you they aren't terrified in that moment is lying. 
Mm -hmm. But I learned to put that fear in a bit of a corner. You can't deny your emotions. That's trouble. But to put it aside for a moment and do my job. Now, that's an extreme example, but it ended up helping me a lot in my civilian career because when we're working, there's things like anger. There's things like frustration. There's things like doubt that to say you can compartmentalize them, put them aside and focus on what you're doing in the moment. A lot of times things will work out a little better. Now, you cannot deny those emotions, but that ability to focus and put things aside for a moment is another thing that really helped me during my career with the important caveat. You can't pretend those things didn't happen. I was under the South Tower when it was hit by the, the terrorists on 9-11. I had gone up there after the first tower was hit, which turned out to be not a great, <laughs> great idea. When I was supervising the Central Bank of Iraq in Baghdad, I was subject to multiple rocket attacks. Those things were all very frightening. But I had the experience of knowing, okay, I can be scared but still do my job. And that was very useful. Listening to you, you've done these really dangerous missions. How how did you live your day-to-day -day life? Did you live it thinking that this is the last day of my life? Or did you live it hoping that it wasn't? You know, uh, that's a that's an excellent question. During the flying years, when you first start, you think you're invincible. But pretty soon, you see some people die around you. And I was, I'm speaking to you from my study in my home, and there's a little plaque on the wall with the names of seven very close friends who died while I was flying. I keep it up there to remind myself of them and of how precious life is. The more you fly, the more you realize, you know what? This might not work out so well every time you climb up in that jet. And you just have to be confident in yourself. You realize, okay, it could go wrong, but... I believe enough in myself that I think I can do this safely. That's kind of a, a dramatic example that, again, served me well throughout my life because, for instance, we're all doing jobs every day where we think, well, you know what, this might not work out so well, or I might not succeed at this, or it may go badly. But in my case, I'm always able to say, well, that's true, but I've been in circumstances where I've had that feeling in a very dramatic way. And I just kept believing in myself and I just kept showing up and things worked out. It's believing in yourself and keep showing up is what I'm yeah. hearing from you. Yeah, yeah. And things Absolutely. will work out. This is also valuable, Mike. I'm sure you have more for us. Tell us more, please. So I think the most important lessons I learned while I was flying, there's really two more I'd like to talk about. And they both originated from the same two incidences. There were two occasions when I was flying Hamida that I was convinced we were about to crash and I was about to die. The first time was we were uh, flying very low over the desert in training at about uh, 600 knots, probably about 50 feet, extremely low. And our flight lead took a very sharp turn to the left to go around the mountain and the young pilot I was flying with turned very sharply to follow him only he overbanked. in other words for a moment in time he turned past the vertical and we were pointed at the ground at 600 knots at 50 feet 
Right. Now, my hand immediately went to the ejection handle. There's the F-14, like all jets, is equipped with zero-zero ejection seats. And if you, 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 if you initiate ejection sequence, you'll be punched out of the aircraft and, uh, and end up in a parachute. But in this case, guess what? We were almost upside down. And if I had pulled that handle, all I would have done was punched us into the desert. And we would have just been a smear along the desert. And in that moment... In that moment, I was absolutely convinced I was about to die. That same phenomena occurred a second time when we were at Top Gun. And at Top Gun, one thing you do is you fly with other junior pilots as flight leads, and you take turns and you learn how to lead flights. And we had a, an occasion where we were flying following another junior flight crew like us, and the flight leader made the mistake of basically forgetting we were on his wing and he turned very sharply into us and I looked up and I saw his wing coming at us and I knew we were about to die because that I couldn't again I couldn't eject I was just absolutely certain I was going to die but in both those occasions the pilot my pilot fortunately reacted on both occasions the same way by bunting the nose enough that we didn't hit the ground and we weren't hit by that wing. But in both those moments, I had the same reaction. The first is basically I, I had that phenomenon of your life flashing before your eyes. Mm -hmm. And um, at least the way I experienced it, it's, it's not so much it flashes in front of your eyes, but is, it's that you become instantly aware of every moment in your life or all the important parts. And in both of those moments, when that phenomena was triggered in me, I only thought about one thing, and that was people. The people that I would give anything in the world to see one more time so that I could tell them I loved them, so that I could say goodbye, so that I could hold their hand. I didn't think about my career. I didn't think about my successes or failures. I didn't think about money. I didn't think about things I hadn't done, wished I'd done. I thought about only one thing people and relationships and how precious they are mm -hmm. and that has informed my entire life it's it's made my personal relationships a lot richer it made me appreciate the importance of being a good leader a lot of my career success has not i've never been the smartest guy in the world in the room or the hardest working <laughs> But I have been the one often that appreciates people the most and treasures them, actually. And that has made me a good leader. And a lot of the reasons, Tim Geithner selected me to be his chief of staff because he said I was a good leader that everyone trusted. Jeff, Jeff Immelt asked me to come be his chief compliance officer. I said, Jeff, I've never even been a compliance officer, much less a chief compliance officer. And he said, I know, Mike, but I've got a lot of career compliance officers. You're a good leader. I need someone to lead these compliance officers. I could give you other examples where my appreciation for people and leadership, which ultimately gets traced to these two very intense moments, has served me very well in life, especially in my personal life. Great friends, great relationships, great marriage. These, I, I treasure all these things so much, especially because I know that there will come at least one more time in life one more moment when once again i'll know okay this is about to 
come to an end. And I know what that moment is like and what I'll think about in that moment. Now, I get wrapped up in the day-to-day like anybody else in life and, and sometimes get away from that lesson. But it still has really importantly shaped my career and my life. Now, there was another interesting thing that uh, lesson that emerged from those two moments when I was convinced I was about to die. The other thing was I realized that my life seemed in that moment to have lasted a fraction of a fraction of a moment. When you suddenly thought back about all these things at once and you're aware of all these things at once, you realize time is relative. Time is something of a a mystery in some ways. But in that moment, to me, however many years old I was, had suddenly compressed into a microsecond. Mm -hmm. And as I've thought that through in life, there's some interesting implications there. I come from a Christian background. I'm a practicing Catholic. And I had the very unfortunate experience of losing my mother to lung cancer when I was 17. Now, I've obviously mourned her then. I've mourned her ever since. But it, those two experiences taught me, you know what? At some point, we'll be together again. And in that moment, it will seem that we've been apart just a fraction of a, t- of a second there's a lot of suffering in life, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people go through very difficult times. And we often ask ourselves, why is there so much suffering in life? How can this happen? You know, is there a God? Is there, how is it that, that, that so many people can suffer so much? And I don't know the answer to that question. I do not know the answer to that question. I want to be very clear on that. But I have picked up through my own experience this interesting data point that someday everybody's suffering one way or the other comes to an end. And in that moment, that suffering will feel like a fraction of a fraction of a second. I, I don't know exactly what to make of that. I think it's something interesting to think about. And it has a lot to do with how you think about you know, life after death or, or now, now we're into, you know, a very wide ranging topic, but, I think it's a very interesting data point that in the last moment of your life, you realize that time is highly compressible and whatever suffering we might be enduring in this life right now or observe in others will, in the scheme of things, be just a fraction of a fraction of a moment. And Mike, that is such an encouraging message in these times of COVID, because we know there are so many who are suffering out there of COVID, of losing loved ones to COVID. There are also others who are suffering of isolation, who are going through mental health issues because of such isolation. And I'm talking about adults as well as teenagers and kids. And so this message that Suffering will, in the end, of course, it's going to end, get over. Well, later. yes. Yes. And I think the, the lesson from that can be brought to our more practical day-to-day reality. I mean, you know, let's, it's not particularly encouraging when you're going through something very, like you just said, COVID is so challenging. There's so many people. And you mentioned people living alone in particular. I know I've many such people, many friends who 
that's going to challenge you. Now, it's not particularly that <laughs> encouraging in that moment to think, okay, at some, yeah. some point this will, but I do think it's encouraging to realize, you know what, this will pass. This will pass. This too will pass. This too will pass. And at some point, it, it will seem like not such a long time. But it kind of all wraps together, if you think about it, when you apply what I've talked about to, to COVID, which is hang in there, keep showing up, believe in yourself, compartmentalize, think positive, realize the most important things in life are a lot more about people than, than accomplishments or experiences. And, and the preciousness of time, the mystery of time, even in COVID, time is precious. It's fleeting. Mike, this was all really valuable and um, very interesting the way you came up with all your life lessons. And thank you so much for sharing. Our new tagline for this podcast is together we are creating a library of stories. And wow. your stories will be there in the library as very precious stories. So thank you so much for sharing them. Is there a final message you want to give to the listeners before we end? Listen, I started by talking to you about this career and this personal life that from the outside, you know, looks like, boy, it couldn't have gone much better. But hopefully your listeners understand now that there were a lot of moments during it where this wasn't what I wanted to do, where I was scared, where I had doubts, and some very, very frightening experiences. So everybody, no matter how well you think things are going for them, every person has a story. We are all humans. We are all challenged. Every single person, I've learned from my own life, every single person standing in front of me, no matter how great their life might look, I know for an absolute fact they're dealing with something they're dealing with a doubt they're dealing with fear there's always a story behind the story and that story is always about people overcoming and dealing with challenges that's what we are all doing every moment and if we just remember that about ourselves and pull together and be human to each other it's just amazing what can result and in my case i i really have been very blessed but there's a story behind the story that's a great last message thank you so much mike really an honor to have you on my show oh, uh, and hope to see, absolutely and hope to see you really soon absolutely great listeners i hope you enjoyed listening to mike as much as i did mike shared five life lessons with us and i'm going to try and list them Mike learned these whilst he was training at Top Gun and during his experiences at the Naval Academy. Mike still uses these lessons in his life. I feel I can use so many of them in my life, and I hope so can you. Here they are. One, even if things are not going as planned, just roll with it. Two, for challenges in your life, give it a shot and believe in yourself. Three, hang in there, keep showing up, and things will work out. Four, people and relationships are most important in life. And five, time is precious and fleeting. Also, let's not forget the final message that Mike gave to us. He said, everyone has a story and there is always a story behind the story. 
And this brings us to the end of this episode. I will bring you the next episode of Sharing Life Lessons next Wednesday. Until then, be happy, be safe, and be well.